Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest from the world of business, entrepreneurship, sports, and marketing to help you harness your inner tenacity to drive your career and life forward. I'm excited to welcome my guest today, an eight-year veteran of the National Football League and a Super Bowl winner with his hometown Pittsburgh Steelers, Chucky Akobe. Today, he is an emotional intelligence and integrative psychology professional using his expertise not only as a keynote and motivational speaker, but as a mental performance coach for venture capital, startup founders, entrepreneurs, and current and former pro athletes. And through his own professional journey through business, college, and sports, Chucky has had the personal experiences to guide other ambitious corporate leaders to recognize that success is simple. And if you know the basic instructions of mind mastery, and I'm amped to unpack your career journey and what you're up to now. So let's do this. Chucky, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's a pleasure being here. I just feel privileged to to be a guest on this show and i've been uh been a fan been a fan it's is this is definitely what i call a thoroughbred podcast because there ain't they're not everybody's a thoroughbred man but i i do that 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 means a lot to me and i and i appreciate it so whenever i whenever i have an opportunity to talk to to pro athletes or really anyone in their career who has made it to the the highest level and i'm going back to that conversation that you and i had about six weeks ago you know there's a lot of similarities and and we'll get into that in a little bit but i love to ask pro athletes right when did you first start playing football? Like, how young were you? I was 13. I was 13. Before that, I was uh, all into baseball. You know, I was, uh, I saw myself going the uh, the MLB route, but didn't make it there. So I had to settle for football. And uh, no, you know, I, I never played football until high school. And, you know, the big thing with football when I first started playing is I was shocked. Like after the first football practice, I was like, "Man, this looks a lot harder on television." <laughs> That's literally who I thought, and so because I, that came a lot more natural to me, you know, I went that route. You know, it was after my sophomore year in high school, I, I knew this is what I was going to do. So, were you always on the O line, or what other positions did you play? Oh, no, 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 no. I, when I first started playing football, I was running back. I was yeah. uh, I was fullback. I wanted to be just like Christian Okoye, the Nigerian nightmare. Me being of Nigerian descent, he, he, you know, he was just unstoppable playing for Kansas City. So that's when I first started playing football. I insisted on playing that position, and and again, it was it was it came natural to me just the way the physicality of football. But I played other positions in high school. I played I played eight different positions because I played two different positions every year. I played in high school, but I played uh, I played offensive line my last two. And that's where my talents were most valuable to the rest of the group. So that's where I stayed the rest of my career. When when did when did you know when did it kind of click that you're like shit? I'm I'm pretty good at this thing. I may have a future. 
Well, like, was there a moment? Was there a time? When did that like feel? I like, like hey, listen, I'm pretty damn good at this. I made I made a decision. I was going pro at age seven. It just wasn't. I didn't know what sport I was going to play. But you know, there's a there's a story behind that. You know, because most people have an idea. They have what I call internal representation of the, in their mind of what they believe. You know, football players are how they think, what they like, and I'm not. You don't know what you don't know, and. <laughs> My journey in football was more of an emotional and spiritual journey than than anything else. And, you know, my motivations for wanting to play sports really came from my uh, home situation at a really young age. And long story short, and I'm sure we'll get into the longer stories we go along, but... It's your show, man. You know, Tell it, us, please. You know, to me, I, I was that kid who, you know, came home from school, dropped his book back by the door, got out of my school clothes... And went right back outside to play, not because I just love sports, which, you know, to me, that was a, a love that grew over time was my love for sports. It was an escape from the house. I just didn't want to be home. I just didn't want to be there because, you know, my parents were always fighting and the atmosphere was just charged with like fear and, and sadness. And when I was out playing, you know, I felt like somebody I felt good about myself. I liked it was you. myself. It was your time. You know, I liked myself. I, I felt self-worth, like I mattered. And to me, it was that, you know, the satisfaction, that feeling like I belonged somewhere and that I was amongst people who valued my contribution. I didn't feel that at home as a kid, you know? And, and how did, how did, were your parents supportive of your, of your um, athletics? They had no idea what I was doing. You just, they didn't know you were playing football in high school. They didn't know where you're coming home late. They didn't know what you were doing. My dad didn't know I played football until I was in college. That's crazy. You know, my mom, my mom was busy raising her children and working that she had other things. Like to me, it was, she wasn't really focused on my extracurricular activities. You know, to me, she was focused on paying the bills and doing what needed to be done to keep her family moving forward. And to me, I saw sports, again, it was all about me just valuing myself. And to me, I knew that if I could play sports the rest of my life, again, I was seven years old, so I thought I could play the rest of my life. But I felt like if I could play the rest of my life, I could feel this self-worth and happiness the rest of my life. And that was what mattered. It wasn't about the sport. It was about feeling the way I wanted to feel about life. Wow. And, and sports really provided that for me at an early age. So, and, and thank you so much for sharing that perspective. Did you have cheerleaders early on? Was it coaches? Was it, you know, friends, parents? Who was there to support you through this journey? I can't even imagine, you know, being in high school and the, the emotional toll of, of just being in high school itself and then sports on top of it and being a top performer and courted by, you know, schools and scouted. Like, who was looking out for you, man? You know, I, you know, because my dad wasn't really involved in my life for, really about after age about age 16 like i knew my it's not like i didn't know my dad but i wouldn't say he was a father figure Present. he was just my father you know and so to me what i did unconsciously through sports is i collected father figures and you know I, a lot of times people will make excuses is oh my dad wasn't around and they'll carry around that baggage the rest of their life and this excuse to as to why they didn't do what they wanted to do as to why they would, aren't being who they want to be today as an adult. 
But my mentality as a kid was like, I'm going to find what I need. I'm going to find it. Like to me, I don't, if, okay, if I don't find guidance at home, I'm going to find it. And so I was very blessed to have a lot of the coaches I had along the way, you know, not just in football, but it really started in baseball. Like I think back to when I was in junior high and, uh, my coach, my baseball coach, Paul Raccio, he was he was great because, you know, he was so passionate about coaching and, and helping kids get better. Like we hit, we practiced every day. I mean, like even if our team didn't have practice, we practiced every day, every day of the week. If there wasn't a game, you're we, out there. We're out there. We practice as a team. Great. But if there's no practice for the team, he will come pick me up. And we'll go practice. And that was really taught me about discipline and focus is to like, hey, if you want to be known as one of the best, like it's got to be the way you operate every day. That's not just going to happen on game day. No, it's repetition and discipline. It sounds like you've had an incredible level of self-awareness at such an early age. And everyone finds their, you know, my self-awareness epiphany wasn't until I was 36. You, it seems like you had it when you were seven or eight years old. Like, what, like just an incredible level of, understanding who who you are do you, do you feel that way looking back right now i think it has more to do with human nature and that there's only two types of motivators in this world i don't care what you're looking to accomplish there's only two motivators one is pleasure it's like oh i really want to go to the nfl and i'll do anything to get that you know and so that it kind of right it, it, it's like a magnet that's just drawing you closer to it so pleasure is the, the type of motivator that everybody can understand. I mean, think about it from uh, just a human nature standpoint in terms of reproduction. Yeah. So you see the, that perfect partner that that's going to draw you in, right? It's pleasure. Juices start flowing. Yeah, exactly. The other motivator is pain. It's something I need to get away from. And so what happens is most people in those situations, when they're feeling pain, they're feeling frustration, they're feeling anxiety, it's what I call a choice point. So are you going to give in? Like, let's say the pain is, let's just call it fire. So the fire, you feel the fire, it's, it's burning. And so you got to get away from that fire. So, and it's, it's so hot that you're like, I got to get away from it. I got to get away from it. Are you going to be like, screw it. I can't get away from it and let the fire consume you. Or are you going to figure out a way to get as far away from this thing as you can? And so like me think about me not wanting to be at home you can start to see the dynamics. And so like, it's like, whatever's happening in life right now, this is unacceptable to me. And that's the way I felt. So I felt more like back then, the pain made me focus. Like, okay, what do I need to do to, to make sure that this is not my life? And so that was to me, I don't know if it was so much of a self-awareness as much as, you know, how committed are you to change? And I, I was committed very, very early, you know? That's that's powerful, and that's, that's inside you. So let me ask you this. You talk about father figures. You talk about strong male influences in your life. How much of an influence was Joe Tiller in your decision to go to Purdue? I did, First of all, Joe Tiller wasn't the coach when I got to Purdue. No? No. And I only had one scholarship offer out of high school. Nobody wanted me. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you a story because this came up yesterday talking to a mentor. Please. And, you know, when I was in high school – I went to a small boarding school in in New York State, about an hour north of New York City, called Trinity Palmer. Loved every minute of it. It's all boys' school, 
you know, my best friends in life are still people I went to school with there. And but it wasn't an academic institution like like if you've ever heard of like uh, Barstool Sports, you know, yep. one of the founders of that went to Trinity Pauling. We have people in Dave. politics, Wall Street, people who do a lot of important things. But athletes, mm, that wasn't really the thing, but it was my thing. And so I wouldn't have any, I didn't have anybody looking at me as a junior. So what I did is I wrote, I went to the computer lab because it's like 1994 where not everyone yeah. had a computer in their pocket. So I went to the computer lab. We're dating ourselves, man. <laughs> you know, we're I, close I, in age, man. We're dating ourselves. <laughs> so, so I went to the computer lab and wrote like 150 letters. Wrote a letter to every single Division One school, some Division One AA schools, and you know, to just to be completely transparent, like I had to send out VHS tapes for those that remember those, and I needed posters to send out these letters and stuff, and I didn't have any money, so I stole mm. it. I stole it. I robbed a lot of people. And the thing is, I was robbing people for postage and VHS tapes because I knew I was just wanted to get on the map. I wanted these people to know I was alive. Yeah. So <laughs> I sent them all out. So that's when I started getting correspondence. In the end, I only had the one offer from Purdue. But before that, I got this letter from Indiana University. And this this is going to you're going to love this story. I got this letter from Indiana University essentially saying, we watched your film and we don't believe your your Big Ten football material. We don't think you can succeed in this conference. And I was 16. And I'm looking at this letter and I said, why didn't you just send me nothing? Like, why would you send this to a kid? And I threw it away. Kind of forgot about it, but obviously I never really did. What's really funny is Purdue's a Big Ten team too. And their number one rival is who? Indiana University. I started four games against that team. Okay. The first two games, we won a combined score of 112 to nine. And Maybe I had something to do with it. A little chip on your shoulder. Right. So the third game, my, junior, <laughs> my the third year, my third year as, as a junior, I scored my only touchdown in my career in, in college football. And that score was the difference in the win. Wow. In the fourth game I played against them, we won that game to become big 10 champs. So yeah, I guess I'm not good enough to play at Indiana. Yeah, is yep. it is it a great is it a great how life works out that way where yeah. you could like where it's not it's not your words that shut people up but it's the actions, precisely right. It's and and that's what is that man. So so you played you played with Drew Brees right like yeah. I mean what, what's what's he, what's he like man? Is he the real deal? He's he's you know Drew is what makes him the leader that he is man. He's one of the most authentic people i know and i don't just mean authentic from a personality standpoint it's like he it, like what you see on sunday what you hear him say like that's him that's just who he is i'll tell you this story about the first time i met drew Brees, because drew was a year behind me in high school but he didn't redshirt so when we got he got drafted we got drafted in the same class same yep. and so he, he was on his recruiting visit and we were at this frat party and i remember meeting him and i was looking at him like he, he was just like a little guy, little compared to the rest of the football players. And he had this thing on his face. And so, you know, you don't want to stare. Right. <laughs> People, <laughs> so I'm looking, but you know, like when you see a pretty girl, you try, you don't want her to see you looking. Yeah, so I'm like, side eye. <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking at the thing on the face. Don't but every time he looks, I'm like looking away, like I'm not staring. But then he caught me. Oh, shit. Then he <laughs> caught me. So then I was like, hey, you know, so we start talking and I asked him, I said, so what position do you play? And he said, quarterback. And I said, 
what? Because I'm looking him up and down like this guy. I gotta protect this guy. He's like, I didn't think I. I thought he was bullshitting. I didn't think he was a quarterback because he wasn't six foot four like the other quarterbacks. But but it's like, okay, if you say so, buddy. (laughs) You know, that's the way I look. Because remember, he's still in high school at this time. I'm a freshman. And he came into training camp that year, and he was like number six on the depth chart. By the time training camp camp was over, he was number two. And that's when I knew, like, this guy's he's legit. And his work ethic is, is ridiculous. Like, you know, to me... Everything he does is to be the best quarterback he can be. You know, if he if he goes on vacation, it's because he needs rest. Because when he gets back, he's got work to do to be the best quarterback he can be. Everything he does is to to be the best he built can around be. that. And he's the most competitive person I've ever met. To wow. the point where, for us as his teammates, it was annoying. Like you're annoying me, dude. Everything we're driving from here down the street, it's a race. That's it's, true. It's that that competitive nature. I mean, you combine that with work ethic. I mean, that's 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 a theme. When I talk to top performers in any aspect of life, it's mm. the discipline and the work ethic. There's no substitute for the hard work, the discipline, and the work ethic. Like like I, I that needs to be ingrained on everything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You don't get to where you are. You don't get to you don't get to to, to that level. Let let's fast forward and. Talk about rookie year in the NFL, man. Was it like a shock to you? Was was there something that you expected it to be and it wasn't? Like, tell us about coming into coming into the league as a rookie. Well, you know, the big thing is, you know, I'm originally from Pittsburgh, and my parents split up, moved around a lot, went to six different schools before high school, and always had this vision of someday I'm gonna go home. You know, because for those first, you know, eight nine years of life, that was all that was the world I knew. And so moving to New England, lived in New England and went to high school in New York. And I always want to go back to Pittsburgh. And the funny thing is the thought of playing football for the Steelers never actually entered my mind as a real possibility until I was drafted. Like I wouldn't, that the goal was to go home and the goal was to play pro. I never anticipated doing it all at once all coming together i never anticipated that but when it happened i was like yeah that's right met, it makes it sense it makes it makes sense in this movie that is my life this makes it. sense it's you know it. so that was a big thing is i always I, I felt you know that time on you know on draft day i'm talking to mike miller and he's like keeping me on the phone so nobody else can call and i'm like what's this <laughs> power move right there yeah is i'm like what's this and then he's like, yeah, because we might draft you. I think we're going to draft you in this round. Yeah, we just drafted you. And, and that's he just kept that, you on. He just kept me on and said, yeah, we just drafted you. And I was like, what? <laughs> he's like, yeah. He's like, oh, I'm on the Steelers. And he was like, yeah. And he handed the phone to Bill Cowher. And that's when reality hit. I was like, like holy shit, happening. man. This Bill, is happening yeah. right now. And, and going back, going home, it was really good because I had a familiarity with my surroundings. Whereas most players you know, like Casey Hampton and Kendra Bell and Rodney Bailey are coming from other places. This is a foreign place to them. You know, but, the, you know the stadium, you know the neighborhood, you know the people. Exactly. And there's a breed up there. Each each fan, each fandom. I'm a Giants fan. Diehard Giants fan. Giants fans, Eagles fans, completely. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a different breed. Let me ask you this. The first home game, when you came out of that tunnel and ran on the field, tell me what that felt like, man. Well, I felt like I was born for this, you know, it's, 
about really aligning your thoughts. Like, you have to become an NFL player before you can get drafted. Like, I was ready. What, like, what, what, do you, what, do you mean, what do you mean by that? You have to become an NFL player before you've been drafted. This, you have to become that if you even want them to consider you. There's a lot of kids playing football. So why, you know, if there's 10,000 college seniors every year in, in, in college football, they only pick less than 300 players, and they're not all seniors. No. So in order for me to stand out as one of those 1.6% of the college players that go pro, you've got to be NFL caliber to even be in the conversation. So to me, by the time I was there, I had already built up that belief that this is who I am before – you know, the combine before any of this stuff. It's all mindset, man. You know, it's, it's all mindset. And that's a big part of what I'm doing now with basic instructions is that, yeah. you know, people will always find it interesting. Like most people go into broadcasting, like Drew's doing Notre Dame now and, or they're going to coaching, you know, like a lot of my guys that played with in Pittsburgh, like Larry Foote and Antoine Randall just won the Super Bowl's coaches for Tampa. So the people wonder why, well, why don't you do like, stay in that same vein of what you were doing back then. And it's like, I'm doing exactly what I was. You doing. are coaching, just not, not on the field. This, all of this, all of the stuff I do with integrative psychology, mental performance, I learned this at Purdue on my own. I didn't learn it in class. I went searching for the information. And there's this whole story behind that because when coach Tiller came, remember coming out of high school, nobody wanted me. And so I was scared. I assumed that he didn't want me either. And I had to find an advantage. And that's really how, that's where the whole basic instructions, Smart. you know, we, came to be. And along with some coaching and guidance from Coach Tiller and, and Coach Danny Hope, who was my offensive line coach at Purdue. And, you know, there's a lot of input that they had and influence they had on me that led to this whole approach of basic instructions and achieving the results you want in life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a kid who just wanted to go pro and go home and I did exactly that. So what's stopping you from doing exactly what you want? And so in reflection, I was able to extract the principles that I learned and applied that led to my specific desired result or what I like to call Super Bowl level success. You know? Yeah. I mean that, that let's adjust. So let's, before we get to the Super Bowl stuff, cause I want to riff on that for a little bit, a couple of, uh, uh, questions for you. When I was doing my research, I came across a YouTube video with your alter ego, Chuck One. Oh yeah, that's a lifetime ago, man. Yeah, like tell me, you ever have that itch? You ever like like randomly on a random day just start like you know spitting lyrics or feel the need to turn on the camera and just start freestyling, or is that something that's deep in the past, man? You no, know, I I I'll, I'll talk about you know rapping, actually the physical act of putting you know, ideas metaphorically together and I do that all the time pretty much all day long but the desire to express myself to the world in that way is past like I just yeah. that's not it's something that's you know rap music specifically was such a major part of my childhood and in a major part of my experience through sports that you know to try my hand at expressing myself to the world and, and showing that part of myself to the world, that was a lot of fun. You know, it's, it's just that now I got a different message. I got a different I love vehicle it. To, to spread my value around. So uh, tre Tremendous. Was, was winning the Super Bowl your 
greatest NFL highlight in memory, or is it something else? In the NFL, I got I got other memories that I, that I would say are, you know, what's what's more memorable than that game was the games leading up to it. The they always say that, right? Like it's not always the case that because it's very rare that the Super Bowl game is is going to be a really tight, great game. I mean, if you look at the the history of it, it's those it's the championship games. Those are the games I love it. Like Wild Card Weekend now, like those like those are the best weekends, man. Those are the best, and this year was fantastic too, for the most part. Yeah, you know the thing about that is, you know, there's a story there, and when you win the game, you feel like you want. It's not just winning that game; we won the tournament. It's a, it is a tournament, exactly. So every single game that we won was part of that moment. Three or four games, yeah. You know, in in going in, in that particular year, the Steelers. Most people don't. All we remember is who won the Super Bowl. Super Bowl Forty winner, Pittsburgh Steelers. But most people will forget that number one, there was a point in in the season where we lost three games in a row. In the season before that, we were fifteen and one. So losing three games in a row was like, what is happening right now? And we got we were in a position where if we didn't win every single game the rest of the season, we wouldn't even make the playoffs. So we started the playoffs like in week eleven. We if you don't win if you lose this game, it's over. So we had we had to win the last five games just to be the sixth seed, just to be the last team. And so we were the last team and we were not conference we were not a division champs. Cincinnati was division champs that year. And they were the team we played first in the playoffs. So here we go. We're coming into the 2005 season, coming off a 15 and one season, which was Ben's rookie year. Yep. The next year, we were the favorites, so we felt really good about our prospects going into that season. All of a sudden, you drop. Yeah, you're on a high, man. But we dropped three in a row, and we're and now it's do or die. Yeah, do or die. We won the last five games. We got into the playoffs. Then we had to beat the three seed. Then the number one seed, and then the number two seed, just to go. And yeah, we did. We got to the big game. Those it, are the hardest it, games usually. Exactly. So it's that the journey is what I remember from that season. Oh, I love it. That, that's great. Um, you know, talk about retirement for a little bit. And I, I, I know you were injured, correct? But were you mentally done with the game at the time, or did you still have more in you, more in the tank? No, nah, I mean to me, it's there's aspects of my football experience that. I never, I've never really stopped doing, and you know, it's just that you get to a point where there's a different type of value you have to offer. And to me, is my journey through college. You know, my journey through college, the, the four years I spent at Purdue. If I just did that and never went pro, I'd be okay. That was way, that was a thousand times better than playing in the NFL. And and to me. It's because of the, again, the story there. We were a team that had been bad for a long time. When I got there to, to Purdue 96, there was like 13 consecutive losing seasons. We were, you know, Purdue was known as a bottom feeder in the Big Ten. There was no way this team's ever going to be anything. Drew Brees, you know, as well as, you know, in the 1997 recruiting class, Drew Brees was in that class. Aiken Adel was in that class, played nine years in the NFL. Vinny Sullivan was in that class, was first team All-Big Ten. Tim Stratton was in that class, the first Mackey Award winner for the top tight end of the country. We were all on the same team. And that class in 97, that recruiting class was ranked last in the Big Ten class, in the Big Ten conference. We were not supposed to be good. But here's the thing, and this is what I'm teaching people, and this is literally why. Yeah, I, let's get into it, man. Let's get, in, let's get into it. I stay away. Football is not who I am. 
No. Football is something, something you I did. did. Something, something I exactly. Did. It's not who did. I am, and that's what you know. Most people don't have access to talk or hear from people, but I'm my mother's son. Everything else after that is a detail. I came into this world. I didn't even have a name. I'm just my mother's son. And so here's the thing. A lot of times when people come to me, come to me for coaching, come to me for consulting, and maybe not in these exact words, but the first question is like, what brings us here today? And they're going to tell me a story from some point in the past leading all the way up to now. And so I'll say, okay, I got a picture of the past. So where do you want to go? What what is it that you want to achieve? And they're going to tell me a story about from here to some point in the future. Here's the here's the real the the irony of all of this. None of their story is true. Think about this for a moment. Everything in your memory, everything in the past, that story is coming from your memory. It's your perspective. It's what you remember. It's it's a memory. It's a memory from your subconscious mind. It's not real. It's all what your interpretation of some point of something that happened. It's, it could be close. Your, it's pretty close. It could be far from it. Yeah. No, it's Adam. I'm telling you, it's 100% untrue. And here's the thing. That story about the future comes from your imagination. That's not true either. All that's true is now. And so here's the thing. A lot of times people deal with what they consider trauma, something that happened to them. Here's it's. It's not happening now, so I can tell any story in here I want. So to say, oh, my dad left, so what? That makes for an interesting movie now, doesn't it? You know, it's like, okay, well, you know, I didn't have a dad. I came from a dis, you know. Uh, yeah, it's a classic right there. It's a bunch of BS, man. It's, it, that's self-pity. Here's the thing is, everything in this world is a dichotomy. There's two sides to everything. How you can't have, I can't even explain daytime if the sun never went down to turn to night. I couldn't even explain it. There's, you can't, I, you can't explain this. Yeah. Yeah. You can't explain that something's hot without cold. You can't explain what a man is without a woman. So here's the thing. No matter what, how, what happened to you in the past, you're only looking at one half of the dichotomy and you're choosing to focus on it. So here's the thing. That seven year old kid decided, made a choice, a decision of who he was. But people are out there looking for themselves, trying to find it, as if you're somewhere in the woods. You're right here, right now. Decide who you are. Just decide. And they said, well, so-and-so says something that hurt my feelings. So what? So what? We live in America, right? This is a democracy. On election day, Adam, you get one vote, right? And on election day, I get one vote. So why are you valuing my opinion over your own? You're making a choice. You're giving away your power. You're making a choice. People say, oh, woe is me. Here's what happens, man, is we go along our lives and all these things happen and we collect what I call black bags. So every time, you know, somebody made fun of you in kindergarten, you got a black bag, you stuck it in your pocket, took it with you on your journey. You got picked for last for dodgeball, black bag. You got stood up for the date, black bag. You get divorced, black bag. You got laid off, black bag. And you collect so many of these that they go from this into this and here i'm like Great. adam adam yeah. look 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 what happened to me this is heavy you're not even helping me you don't baggage you- man we carry our shit with us yeah, and we and let it, it define us and the thing is you got to stop letting your baggage fucking define you you have to tell a different you have to talk to yourself different you have to because nobody else is in there but you nobody who's gonna fix it your shrink 
Pfizer, who's going to fix your life? You're the only one in there, man. And so that, that's powerful yeah. shit, man. That's powerful shit. Who, who comes to you for coaching? How, are people attracted to you? Like, how, how does this, like, how, how do you align with the right folks to work with you? Well, I mean, I feel the, I mean, I feel the energy right here. And I also feel, and you go back to this word authentic and, and even in our 38 minutes here of chatting right now, it it comes through loud and clear. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, a, a powerful thing, but how, how do you align? Cause the big thing with coaching is not everybody's coachable. Not everybody wants to be coached. Not everybody's open to being open or honest feedback. How, how do you, how do you align with folks to work with? You know, you know, I, I really like the fact that you talk about people not being coachable. Everyone, true, man. everyone, but anyone that's not coachable is because they chose not to be right. They simply chose not to be. If you think, you know, everything, you can't learn anything. And the thing is, I'll tell you something that Coach Cowery used to tell us on the Steelers. When things, this, in matter of fact, when we lost those three games, this is what he said. He said, fellas, you don't know what you don't know. And what you don't know that you don't know is what's actually running the show. And since you don't know what you don't know, how do you know what you think you know is right? Don't answer me. Just think about it, guys. And that's everybody on earth you don't know what you don't know i don't know what i don't know but I here's the know. thing as long as you think your story's true you've just said you've sealed your fate as long as you believe that as long as you believe it's a fact that i'm not good enough that i'm not smart enough that i'm not tough enough like you sound like you sound like the wizard of oz think about it and remember the wizard like of that. oz was a dream it was in dorothy's head it was in her head man and, those, and none of it was real. So think about your story. And, and, and the story you keep telling yourself is what I call limiting beliefs greatest hits. It only comes in vinyl. So yeah. it spins around in your head, spins around it's in your head, going. going, going, obsessing, obsessing. And the lyrics to limiting beliefs greatest hits, they sound like, I can't, I'm not. I don't, I don't yep. I don't, I don't want, I, I can't do it, I'm not good enough. That's you talking to yourself. And you know what? If that's what you believe in here, how is anybody out here going to believe in you? Yeah. You don't it starts, even believe it's, it's, it. It starts with women. So what, what's, a, what's a, a simple change that the average person could do that would vastly improve their mindset for being successful? Like what is, what is like a simple? Breathe. Dude, amen, man. Like I, I did it today. I told you before we got in the air, I went through some shit today and I, instead of reacting first, I literally took a minute and I was like, just breathe, man. Just I went outside. I got some fresh air, and I said, "These are things that are out of my control." But what I can't control is how I react to them. Okay, but let me tell you the science as to why. Because a lot of times, you know, I can say things, I get metaphors, and I get hype about stuff. But yeah. there's just, there's a scientific reason why breathing is the answer. We all people want to get pills. They want to get their their Adderall or Ritalin or you know, antidepressants or whatever. No, what you need is to breathe. And here's why. It's called the mind-body energy connection. When you get upset, when you get emotional and you get angry, check me out. You stop breathing, right? Tense up. Or if you're feeling sad, your breathing starts to change, right? So your unconscious mind is going to kick these physical processes into motion based on what you're thinking. But you can, you could, the process is crazy because the mind affects the body and the body affects the mind. 
So if I'm feeling fear, I'm going to breathe fast and shallow, right? But if I just all of a sudden take control and go, the mind gets confused. The mind gets confused. I thought we were upset, but he's breathing normal, so I must not be. It works, man. You, you got to take control. And so, like, if I let that go, if, you know, I think about, like, my mother-in-law was having back pain. My wife was telling me the story. And she was like, oh, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. And my, and my wife said, she should breathe. And she breathed for a while. I was like, wow, I do feel better. Yeah, you know why? Because you, that breathing forced you to stop telling that negative story. It forced you. Because the mind, if we're upset, then we wouldn't be breathing. Fact. Fact. Breathe. Breathe. That's... Adam, that's why I call it basic instructions. Success is simple. People are complex. Pause. Breathe, people. Chuck, what's what is Super Bowl level success? Well, who could achieve it? Everybody, because you know when you think about a football player, the highest level of achievement would be to win the Super Bowl, right? So that's the ideal. That's the ideal as a football player. But even if you've never played sports, we all have an ideal. A, ideal experience that we want to you know just have in our lives so it might be in your relationships with yourself your relationship with other people your relationship with your higher power it may be in your health and fitness your finances your career it doesn't matter but you know a lot of people wonder what would that feel like to win the super bowl you know for somebody like me and i'm just like well what you may not be aware of is that's a feeling you're already very intimately familiar with. I mean, just think about those memories. We all have memories, those times, you know, that give you that feeling in your stomach, those butterflies, right? You know, the, the, the moments that made your, your pulse race, your breath shallow, you know, you hear your heart beating in your ears, yeah. you know, the sights, the smells, the flavors of those moments that took you to levels of happiness and satisfaction that felt so right, it almost feels wrong. And if you, can envision, wrong, if you can envision that, then you know what it feels like to win the Super Bowl. And so just holding that feeling in your mind, just hold up that, that picture in your mind and imagine that feeling as a parent. Imagine that feeling in your career. Imagine that feeling with your relationship with your God. That's Super Bowl level success. You don't have to play sports to feel that. No. You don't. Yeah. I mean, we, we had we had this conversation, man, before we had, we had a call a couple of weeks ago. You and I broke it down. You also said something extremely interesting. You mentioned the difference between a thoroughbred and a mule. Uh, break that down. Break that down for us, yeah. man. I gotta give I gotta give props to, you know, I know who my father is, but my dad is Danny Hope. That was my offensive line coach in college. And I used to go to his office like an hour early every day before practice for four years just to talk about life, you know. I told you, I'll find my father figures. And we had all kinds of conversations, but all college co coaches do is recruit. So he'd always be talking about recruiting. And he said, you know, as a coach, just give me the players. I'll find a way to get the job done. I'll find a way to win. It just doesn't really matter. But when I'm recruiting, there's only two types of people I can recruit. So you got mules, you got thoroughbreds. Now, if you give me mules, I will find a way to win. I just know that for me, it's going to be a lot more work. 
I'm going to have to use that pain motivator. I'm going to have to use the stick. Yeah. Beat this mule to get the work done. That's a lot of work for me. Give me, th- I want to coach thoroughbreds. Give me a thoroughbred because with a thoroughbred, I don't need the stick. Hell, I don't even need the carrot. All I need to do is give him the basic instructions. Open the gate and watch him run. And so when you think about yourself and your predicament, when you're working towards your goals, working, building your career, building your family, working on your physical fitness, are you a mule or you're a thoroughbred? Because there's only two types of people in this world. And it's a choice. And thoroughbreds. And so the thing is, a lot of people think they're thoroughbreds, but you got to ask yourself, are you really? Because if you need that pain motivator, you're a mule. You're a mule. Because you reaching your highest success, who else cares about that more than you? No one. Who else is going to put in the effort to get you to the top other than you? And so if you can't even, if you can't comprehend, if you can't envision that Super Bowl feeling, and let that idea of that being in your future make you jump out of bed. It reminds me like when we were going to the Rose Bowl, when we were at, we were playing the Rose Bowl that day. And I jumped out of bed and was just screaming like, let's go. I was ready. I've been waiting my whole life for this. You know, I don't need anyone to be like, hey, you know, everyone's downstairs waiting. We got to go. Mule. <laughs> like, mule. It's time yeah, to go. I, I hear you, man. <laughs> You know, so to me, that's that's it. And, you know, when I'm coaching, you know, coaching VCs, coaching startup founders, coaching athletes, if you're, you know, I only want to work with a thoroughbred who's just looking for the basic instructions. So the basic instructions is like the Wizard of Oz. Dorothy was in a crisis. She believed she couldn't solve it herself, only to find out she was the only one that could. All she needed was the basic instructions. She needed the roadmap, my man. She just needed to click three times. That's Chuck, it. Chuck, Chuck, this has been this has been awesome, man. And I'd like to wrap up every show with similar questions to all my guests. It's my masterclass, man. It's my opportunity to learn from amazing folks like yourself. Chucky, what is the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on every single day of your life? Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the is the key. Because especially in sports, especially at the highest level, because most pro sports athletes have been jerked by some coach who they believe did them wrong. Ref, you know, made the wrong call. And so we lost. And Blame so those, those are very minor forgivenesses. But, you know, every time somebody hurts you, you get one of those black bags. It starts to get heavy. And eventually you're going to have trouble moving forward in your life if you don't learn how to just recognize that all of us are doing the best we can. The person that hurt you was doing the best they could. And so I forgive them and ask them for my forgiveness. And then just cut the energetic connection and keep it moving. But as long as I keep ruminating, you know, you know, designing voodoo dolls to continue to hurt them. Like you're gonna, you're voodoo you're dolls st- in your mind. Voodoo dolls in your mind, man. Slowing yourself down, man. It's forgiveness. It's forgiveness. Chuck, when you, last but not least, man, when you when you look back at your life, when you look back at that seven year old, mm-hmm. and you had to pull yourself up and forward and be responsible and take ownership of your own success mm-hmm. and find that inner tenacity, and then the other side of it, when you're sitting here now. You're grateful waking up every day on this side of the dirt, right? Mm-hmm. And just grateful and thankful for everything. What is your guiding light? What is your roadmap? What is your compass? 
Chucky, what is your North Star? The idea that everyone's in control. The real pandemic is self-doubt, self-loathing, and just lack of belief in yourself. And so, like, I believe a lot of the issues with mental mental health in the world would change if people would just make the decision that I'm a star of this movie, everything's happening the way it's supposed to, and you, I need to quit feeling sorry for myself, quit telling myself the stories that I can't and I'm not. And my goal, ultimately, will be to change that to be the commonly accepted way. That people just understand that, oh, just because I was, you know, eight years in the NFL, eight years in, four years in the Big Ten, I was the shortest scholarship lineman. Eight years in the NFL, I was the shortest offensive lineman. You know, from the outside looking in, I didn't belong there. But that's not the story. I never told that story. And so here's the thing. If you, 99.9% confidence that the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Most people have that. So you know how to believe in something. Why don't you just apply that belief to yourself? Easier said than done, my man. You know, I just I want to I want I want to give people the basic instructions to do that for themselves. That's Love my little story. Chuck, thanks for joining us today, man. This has been powerful. This has really been um, enlightening for me, and I appreciate your time and sharing your wisdom and your experience. Where can folks find you? Where can they connect with you? Where can they learn more? LinkedIn, LinkedIn is, uh, you know, obviously the place you're doing it, man. What you're doing business and um, basicinstructions.com. That's pluralized now. Basic How'd you get that website, man? How is that website not taken? Hey, nobody, lucky? Ever, nobody connected the dots the way I did to me. You know, <laughs> watching the Wizard of Oz one day, and I'm like, damn, she just got basic instructions. Mm, that's a good idea. That's what we all need is to learn how to click three times and be, do, and have what we want. That's why I'm it. here in Kansas. That's right, so, man. Chuck, thanks for spending time with us today. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you having me. I appreciate it. Hang with me for a moment here. And everybody listening, I, I mean, listen, if you guys have made it through this episode and you don't have a smile on your face and have had that aha moment multiple times like I have, go back and listen to us a few times because I don't know what you're missing there. I want to thank everybody. Please listen. Share this episode if you liked it. Reach out to Chucky. Connect with him on LinkedIn. You know where to find us all at thepodcast.com. We appreciate you all listening. Remember, take care of each other. Stay six feet apart. Well, maybe not. Maybe not six feet apart this summer. Hopefully not. I'm done. I'm vaxxed. But wash your hands. That's a good thing regardless, man. Take care of each other and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Wisdom is forever. But for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon. Jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search the podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.